Well, welcome once again to the Highway Community Podcast. It's great to have you with us wherever you're tuning in from. It's Thanksgiving week. And while for many of us that's going to look a lot different this year, one thing remains the same. Friday is the day when we can officially start listening to Christmas music. Look, even though Costco started selling Christmas stuff in August, I'm a firm believer that Christmas season starts the day after Thanksgiving. And our family's been so excited about it. There's something about what this time of year reminds us of. That there's hope, that light has shined in the darkness, that into the broken mess that we created, God stepped into human history in the person of Jesus to show us how to live, to show us how to love, and ultimately to endure the cross and rise again so that everything could be made new. This is the season of Emmanuel, where we are reminded of God with us. That God is, has, and always will be present. And that's what we're looking at in this series that we're in. That our hope is not in a God who's distant and removed from what it means to be human, but one who came to show us what it means to be truly human. To restore what it means to be human. See, Jesus knows what it's like. Which is why we've titled this series, No Stranger. The beauty of God with us, because Jesus speaks in the scriptures not only with authority as God, but from a place of real empathy with the human experience. And this week, we're going to look at the fact that Jesus was no stranger to temptation, that even though he was God, he didn't get a free pass, that Jesus was no stranger to being presented with the opportunity to make bad choices in moments when he was weak. And as we look at this together, and as we look at how Jesus responds in those moments, the thing I want us to keep with us, to hold on to in our time together is this thought, that what is on the inside eventually will find a way out. That the way that we respond to temptation shows us something about our inner world. And even about what we love, see what's on the inside will eventually find a way out. And I got to live this out in a very real way this week. Tuesday was mine and Brittany's 13th wedding anniversary. I took the day off just for us to be able to spend some time together and do something fun with the kids. Bay Area folks, do you remember Tuesday? Can you remember all the way back that far? I know for me, sometimes it's hard to remember what happened yesterday. So I'll remind you. Tuesday is when the cold and rain got here, and that started Tuesday morning with really strong winds as the front rolled in, and we were taking a slow morning, you know, enjoying our coffee, uh, when we started getting text messages from our neighbor commenting on the public art piece in our front yard, and at first we were like, what on earth are they talking about? But a few more messages came in, and so we, and by we, I mean Brittany, (laughs) went and looked outside. Now, important fact that I've neglected to mention, the home we're renting has needed a new fence since before we moved in two years ago. And I'm not, I'm not just talking aesthetically, I mean like the whole base is dry rotted like some sort of termite mega buffet, and it leans out both towards our driveway and towards the sidewalk in front of our house. Some might say in a menacing way, I just like to think it wants to hug you. 
It's been leaning so bad that in an effort to try to keep it upright, I put some eyelet screws into the side of a planter box we had in our yard and ran fishing line from those eyelets to the nails that were sticking out of the top of the fence in order to hold it up. A bit of creative engineering, I know, uh, but that I'm actually really proud of. Uh, But as you've probably guessed by now, the wind was too strong for it. It blew our fence down all the way along the side of the driveway and halfway down the section that borders the sidewalk. Uh, All that's left standing, ironically, is the gate, which now serves no purpose. There's no fence on either side of it now, but it just feels symbolic of something. You know, this gate standing there alone. Uh, We're really fortunate that the wind blew the fence back into the yard instead of out onto the cars in the driveway or someone walking by on the sidewalk. Uh, But after being grateful for that for a moment, I also realized quickly that what was in our side yard, and not the nice part that people come and sit out in back when you could have people over like five years ago, but that part that runs alongside the garage, you know, like where you keep your trash cans, or the broken gardening pots you slowly add to the trash each week when there's room, or perhaps your kids' worn-out outdoor toys that you're slowly trying to phase out so that they don't lose it when you either throw them away or give them away. That part of our yard was now the first thing that people saw as they came by. So when the fence blew down the part of our yard that we were keen to keep out of view, you know, the messy part with the broken stuff, That part of our yard was now out front and center, and just like a windstorm on a shoddy fence, temptation has this way of revealing something about us, of bringing front and center what the actual state of our inner world is like. See, I think we often think of temptation as leading us down some new direction that's bad for us or that we don't want to go. Like we're being lured away into some new choices or habits or behaviors that wouldn't have otherwise been chosen by us. I think we often think of temptation as leading us down some new path, but what it really does is reveal what's already there. What's already inside of us. Good or bad. Look, it's not the temptation itself, but our response to it. That's like a window into what's really going on in our internal world. And there are two scenarios, two contexts where temptation seems to have this disproportionate influence in our lives. One is in moments of weakness. You know, whether that's physically or mentally, emotionally or spiritually, You know, one of those is in our moments of weakness. And ironically, the other is in places where we feel strong, where we are confident in ourselves and in our ability. And I think it's so interesting that sometimes our greatest strengths can actually be the places where we're tempted the most. And I wonder if that's because those are some of the last places that we surrender Because they're the places where we feel strong, where we feel confident, like we can handle things on our own, like we don't need help. See, it's easier to ask God to fix something we know is a mess than it is to lay down and surrender where we feel strong. See, temptation seems to have a disproportionate influence, both in our moments of weakness and also through our strengths.
And we're going to look at a moment in Jesus's life today where both of those things collide. A moment of intense physical weakness that presented the opportunity to use his divine power and strength. And we'll get a window into Jesus's inner world, and then we'll just briefly look forward to his later teachings that I think really present an invitation for us. I think there's really something here for us. If you've got a copy of the scriptures with you, go ahead and turn to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to spend most of our time in verses 1 through 11 today, and this passage may be familiar to you, but I do want to quickly remind us of where we are in the sequence of Jesus' life. This comes right after Jesus' baptism, when God's Spirit descends on him like a dove, and there's the voice from heaven, this is my Son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. And right after that, Jesus is led by God's Spirit into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and to be tempted by the devil. And a couple of things I want to note here just off the bat. Here we are again in the wilderness. We've just finished a series watching how Israel struggled in the wilderness after they were freed from Egypt, where we saw them lose sight of God's faithfulness and provision for them as they experienced the day-to-day weariness and discomfort, and about how it made them question and attack God's character about how it led them in moments to want to take control, take things into their own hands, and how time and time again that did not end well for them. And here we are again in the wilderness. Jesus is no stranger to it. This time, not for 40 years, but for 40 days. And in each of Jesus' responses, he'll quote from the book of Deuteronomy. See, at a meta level, the Gospels are showing us here that Jesus would not fail in the same way that Israel did. That he would be the light to the nations that they never were. That in Jesus, the world would finally get the chance to see what God is like, what God's character and God's nature are like, and what it means to be God's covenant people. And so Jesus endures three direct temptations here that Israel faced in the wilderness and look, that are still common to us today. And he did it hungry. He'd been fasting for 40 days. Look, I get grumpy if I don't eat. It's like there's a direct correlation between my blood sugar and my mood. <laughs> between my blood sugar and my ability to deal with the unpleasant or the unexpected. When I am hungry, my resilience goes down and my reactiveness goes up. And it's those reactive moments when we've lost the ability to filter ourselves that give us a window into what's really there. See, Jesus has been fasting for 40 days. He's been sleeping in the wilderness. He's hungry. He's got to be tired. And this is the moment the scriptures tell us that Satan came to tempt him. A moment of weakness, of exhaustion, of hunger. And as we look at these three temptations, I want us to look at the narrative arc. I want us to look at the strategy that Satan takes, what Satan appeals to in Jesus, and how Jesus responds. Let's look at Matthew 4, starting in verse 2. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. See, Satan starts with the immediate felt need. Jesus, you're hungry. 
If you really are the son of God, then use that power. Use that strength to make these rocks turn into bread so you can eat. So here's that intersection. Use this power and strength that you have in this moment when you feel weak to satisfy this need that you feel. Look, and that's such a good strategy because the natural desire is not wrong. See, it's not wrong to be hungry. And I want us to zoom out a bit and think about this more broadly. Like, there's lots of real felt needs. There's lots of natural desires that we all have. Needs for rest. Needs for shelter. Needs for safety, for companionship, for love and for affection. And there's desires that we have that range from everything from sexual connection to being seen for what we do to be meaningful, to be appreciated, to have a sense of security or autonomy. So there are real felt needs and real desires that we have. And those can vary in how intensely we experience them, you know, depending on our season of life or what's going on in our day to day. And what felt needs or desires is this season drawing out in you? As we face a new wave of restrictions, as COVID cases are back on a sharp increase, as we've been living in a more disconnected way from each other, as we've spent more time on devices and looking at screens than ever before, as we've lost things we were looking forward to, as we sit in the midst of so many different convictions, different experiences and different perspectives, as it's so easy to grow numb and tired at the same time. What felt needs or desires is this season drawing out in you? See, what Satan tempts Jesus with in this moment is to satisfy that felt need he has in his own power but to do it in a way that was outside of God's purposes and God's timing. See, Jesus wasn't supposed to use his power to satisfy his own needs. And in a year that has had so many opportunities to wear us down, to draw out those felt needs and desires, this is so crucial for us to consider. To consider the temptation to satisfy the needs that we feel and the desires that we have, but outside of God's will or God's timing. See, I think in most cases, the needs and desires that we have aren't bad. It's really more a question of surrender. Have we surrendered those needs and desires to God's plan and to God's timing? Or are we running after them in our own way and in our own timing? So like, here's the reality. We can pursue even good things, but do it in the wrong way or in the wrong timing and still create a mess. Have we surrendered the very real needs, the very real, even good desires that we have to God's purpose and God's timing? Or are we trying to turn stones into bread. 
And this is what I really want to get at. What does how we answer that question reveal about us, reveal about our internal world, reveal perhaps about what we love? Jesus responds to the temptation in verse 4. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Look, I don't need this now to truly live. There's a source of life greater than this bread, and I'm going to choose to stay connected to it. God will give me what I need. See, there's a trust there underneath Jesus' response, which is exactly where Satan goes next. Take a look, continuing on in verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Okay, Jesus, you say you trust God to take care of you. Prove it. Do you really? I mean, he even quotes scripture at Jesus from Psalm 91. Do you really trust God? Will God really take care of you? Will God be faithful to what he said he would do? Like, this is such a good strategy to end a moment when Jesus was weak but resisting temptation by trusting God to take care of his very real, very felt needs to bring God's character into question. And then to try to get Jesus to put God on trial to see if he's trustworthy. This is a very Adam and Eve moment. I mean, like all the way back in the garden, in that original question from the snake around the tree of life, does God really have your best interest at heart? Like, has that question popped in your mind at all these past few months? Does God really have my best interest at heart? Does God really care? Is God really present? Is God really at work in the world? Is God really trustworthy? Like, I want to be clear about this. Those those questions themselves are not bad. Like, I actually think they're really important to wrestle with. How we respond to them, though, shows us something about what's going on inside of us. And look, we saw those questions eat the Israelites for breakfast while they were wandering in the wilderness. Where's the food? Why are the Canaanites so big and strong? Did you just bring us out here to die? Okay, and it's so fitting that Jesus quotes from Deuteronomy 6, this reference back to when the Israelites were complaining about having no water to drink and about how it would be better for them to go back to Egypt. Matthew 4, verse 7, quoting Deuteronomy 6, verse 16, Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Well, at this point, it seems like Satan goes all in. In a last effort, and it's like, Well, if I can't get you with an immediate need, If I can't ship at God's character enough, maybe I can get you with that desire thing again, but this time on a massive scale. Let's take a look starting in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. 
Look, this is the exchange temptation. To worship someone or something other than God for what they can give us or what they promise us in return. And Paul gets at this so well in Romans 1.25 where he writes of the Romans that they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator. See, Satan offers Jesus the world in exchange for his worship. How many things offer us the fast road, the easy way, the shortcut to what we want in exchange for a part of us that we were never supposed to give? See, this is the career at the expense of your family. This is the promotion at the expense of your integrity. This is the romantic relationship at the expense of your sexual ethics. This is choosing safety and comfort at the expense of the life God called you to live. See, Satan offers Jesus the world in exchange for his worship. And in this moment, Jesus responds in verse 10 with, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God. And serve him only. And 12 chapters later in Matthew 16, he'll say it this way. What good is it for someone to gain the world and yet forfeit their soul? So I think he spoke those words from this experience here. And Jesus endures three temptations in a moment of physical weakness. The temptation to satisfy natural desires outside of God's purposes and God's timing. The temptation to test God's character. And the temptation to worship someone or something other than God because of what they promise to give in return. Three temptations that are so common to us today, perhaps even more acutely felt in this season that we're in. And the way Jesus responds reveals something about him. About how deeply rooted in faith and conviction and trust in God that he is. See, how he responds shows us a window into his inner world. What's on the inside finds a way out. So what do we do? If how we respond to temptation reveals something about us, What if we don't like what we see? What if we feel stuck? Jesus experienced these same temptations that we face. Like he's no stranger to them. And there's something I want to draw out from the way he later teaches. Not just as someone with authority, again, but as someone who's shared the same experience. See, I think so much time gets spent talking about avoiding temptation or overcoming temptation through a more disciplined life, through structure and through routine. And those are important things. But what I want us to consider is that they're incomplete, that they're external supports for what needs to be an internal change. 
See, I think following Jesus' example when faced with temptation is less about discipline and really more about affection. It's really more about what we love. See, when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment was, what did he say? It wasn't do. It wasn't don't do. It was love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Another Deuteronomy quote, by the way. He didn't stop there, though. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, how many of the temptations we face melt away when our lives are fueled by love for God and love for others. We hear all over Jesus' teachings. You can't love God and money. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. This is how the world will know you are my disciples if you love one another. See, what if the way through temptation isn't more discipline? It's through inner transformation that's fueled by love for God and fueled by love for our neighbors. That's the journey that we're on. When it comes to topics like temptation, I love the phrase that we're all hypocrites in transition. We're all at some point along a shared journey. And it's God's work in us over the long haul, turning our desires into his, transforming our internal world so that when we get a window in through a moment when we're weak, when we're faced with the opportunity to make a bad choice, when what's on the inside finds its way out, it starts to look more and more like Jesus. As we turn into this Advent season, we want to walk together, even if it looks different than it has in the past. We want to walk together as we orient our lives around practices that can help this happen. See, God does the work when we make the space. Our staff teams have put together Advent resources for you, real physical ones that we want to get into your hands as we head into this season together. And this coming Saturday from 1 to 3 at both campuses, we've got a series of gifts that we want to give you. Our family and student ministry teams have curated resources for kids and students as well. Please come by and pick those up. We'll be the ones excited to see you outside with masks on and things ready to give you. And next week, John will introduce some of those right here on the podcast. See, Jesus was no stranger to temptation. We don't enter these situations with a God who doesn't get it. Jesus knows what those moments are like and invites us to be transformed by love from the inside out. Would you pray with me?
God, we thank you for your example. We thank you for your, your humility, your graciousness to enter into humanity. To take on our form so that we could see what it looks like to live and love like you do. God, I pray as we turn into this Advent season that you would be at work in us, not just from an outside, external, making things easier sort of way, but a real internal inner working of a heart. Would you give us the love for you and the love for other people? that causes us to start to orient our lives around ways that we can open ourselves up to make the space for you to be at work in us. God, we want to be a community fueled by love and not fear. We want to be a community fueled by love and not guilt. We want to be a community fueled by love and not shame. And so, Jesus, in this moment right now, I pray that you would just... For all of my friends listening to this podcast, just root us in a very real, very tangible, very uh, visceral experience of your love. You love us so much. And you fill us with your love to share that with those around us. God, would you form our hearts after yours this Advent season? We love you. We do this for you. We pray these things in and for your name. Amen.